we're having a conversation here at North Place. Uh, we started last week um, about about spiritual abuse, and that's that's a difficult that's a difficult topic. We uh, we spent a lot of time praying and uh, preparing, getting ready uh, for this conversation because it's not it's not something that is taken lightly. You know, as we celebrate heritage uh, this weekend. Uh, all of us in this room, no matter who we are or, or no matter where we come from, we, we all have a lot that we can celebrate in our heritage. But, but the truth is the human experience has taught us that no matter who you are or where you, where you come from, uh, we also know that a part of our heritage is, is pain. We've all experienced pain. Many of us who are a part of the church or have grown up in the church or around the church or have been in the church have experienced church hurt as, as a part of our experience. And that, that really is unfortunate. If you, if, you ha if you weren't with us last Sunday, I just want to encourage you, you can go to our website and you can download the podcast uh, from last week's message. I would strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. In fact, uh, we, we usually don't say this. I usually don't say this, but this, I believe, is one of those conversations that we're having inside of our church that, that it's probably worth sharing outside of our church. There may be people in your lives who live in other places that you know who have experienced pain. Um, just email that link to them or WhatsApp the link to them or whatever may be the case. I, I truly believe uh, that God is bringing healing not only just to us, but wants to bring healing even to others as it relates to this topic of church hurt and spiritual abuse. As I said, a part of the common experience or hardship that a lot of us have dealt with through life is, is pain that doesn't just come from the outside or external forces, but unfortunately, uh, there's those of us in this room who've experienced pain uh, from, from, from the inside or inside our own community or our family or our own sphere of relationships, maybe from our job or, or like I said, the spiritual community uh, that, that we are a part of. You know, when we talk about abuse, it's important that we understand that abuse is a tragedy and it's a tragedy of when a person or a system, because it can, it can, be, it can be more than just a person who uh, abuses. It can be an entire system that propagates abuse. Abuse is a, a person or a system when, that uses its power to subjugate or to exploit others. Abuse isn't something that is just common to uh, Christians, it happens in all the religions of the world, it happens in all the cultures of the world, and, and we all understand it when we see it. Unfortunately, the Bible and other religious texts have been used through human history as a tool for abuse. You know, we talked about it last week when sacred words have been used as the slaves, uh, slave driver's whip to control or subjugate people. When sacred texts and writings have, have been placed upon people as a yoke or a burden that they are to carry. Jesus himself, in many of, in the many of times when he spoke or he preached or he shared God's word, he specifically addressed spiritual abuse. A, a good portion of the context of the New Testament is Jesus really coming into a religious system in which people had yokes of burdens that had been placed upon them. In fact, Jesus at times used that expression to describe the situation that people were living under. And he said that he had come to remove that that yoke of bondage or that yoke of slavery. I believe today in this room there are there are many of us who have come into 
uh, a spiritual journey expecting to find peace, expecting to find freedom, expecting to find hope, but only after entering into that journey or that community or that relationship did we realize that we had simply taken on another yoke, another burden, something else to control us, to condemn us, to weigh us down. Jesus specifically said that he came to remove the yoke of bondage. In another place where Jesus was talking about spiritual oppression, he used children as an example, as a way to talk about how we should not live under the yoke of spiritual abuse. And on a day when we have these amazing young people with us, I thought it was really, uh, I thought it was really a good opportunity to look at one of the places that Jesus addressed spiritual abuse. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, it says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then? is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He called a little child to him and he placed the child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones those who, belong, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. See, Jesus took very seriously spiritual abuse. Jesus used this occasion with a child in their presence to help them to understand something about spiritual abuse. The kingdom of God is a countercultural kingdom. In the kingdom of God, there is a pursuit, not of power, not of control, not of position, but instead a, a pursuit of humility, humility over position. That was a part of the counterculture nature of the kingdom. The disciples came to Jesus and they were thinking in terms of their culture. Whoever has the position, whoever has the title, whoever has the power that is to be the greatest and so Jesus called a little child right into the middle of the people and he said to them this child should be the example of you as to what the kingdom of God is about not the person who has the title not the person who has the power not the person who has the control but the one who is considered the least among you Jesus said if you want to be in the kingdom this is the one you must emulate you see we're learning together as a church that you and I can recognize spiritually abusive people and systems based on the enforcement of a perverted system of honor. I grew up in the church. I grew up around the church. The church has been a part of my life, uh, my entire life. And one of the fascinating things that I've seen as, as I grew up in the church was this, this culture of honor and shame and how there's confusion around honor, and how often God's word has been perverted or twisted to perpetuate a system of honor that looks more like the world than it does the kingdom of God. Jesus would have blown the mind of everyone who was there that day when he called the child forward and he used the child as an example of the ideal in the kingdom. Jesus would have been saying to them, your culture is not correct. Your culture isn't the culture of the kingdom of God. In fact, your culture stands against the kingdom. 
because in their culture in that day, a child would have been a child would have been something that you used, that you abused. Its value would have been in what it could do for you. At that point, in that time, as a child, you would have never put them first in line. They certainly would not have had the title. They wouldn't have eaten first. They wouldn't have received accolades. They would have been an afterthought. And yet Jesus elevated them and said, in the kingdom, in the kingdom, it is not about who has the title or the position or the age or the rank. Instead, it is about humility. When you and I think about abusive systems, when we think about spiritual abuse, we can recognize it because it is the opposite of what it looks like in the kingdom. In the kingdom, power. Power is not found through position. Honor is not found through position. Instead, honor is found in humility. In the kingdom, honor springs from humility and is given to those who serve, not those whose birthright, position, or power entitles them. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. And I want you to honestly ask yourself, in my culture, in the home that I grew up in, and how I view the kingdom of God, and how I view the church as it exists on my job or in my situation, is it about position? Is it about birthright? Is it about power? Is it about who I am or what my identity is or what my title is, or is it about humility? You may say, Pastor, but I don't understand. Well, neither do those who were following Jesus that day, and that's why he brought that child forward and said, listen, the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God manifests itself through humility. Jesus, the Bible teaches us, came to earth and he didn't exalt himself. He didn't take up his throne of authority. Instead, the Bible says that he lowered himself. He humbled himself. You see, when, when we are preaching a gospel that doesn't align with the example of Jesus Christ, we're preaching a false gospel. When we're perpetuating a religious system that doesn't align with the example of Jesus Christ, that's when we are perpetuating an abusive and broken system. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I wonder, is it, is it possible that we, have, that we have embraced a culture in the church that looks more like the world than Jesus let me ask you a question. I, I just want to, I want you to think about it for a minute. Is it possible that I am interpreting the Bible based on my culture rather than God's intended purpose? Is it possible that I bring to Scripture my ideas and my ideals about how things should be instead of God's idea and ideals about who I am becoming in Christ Jesus? Is it possible that when I read verses about power and control or I, be, I read verses about relationship and I read verses about marriage or money or a, 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 work, a work relationship that instead of reading it through the eyes of the kingdom, that instead I'm reading it through the eyes of broken Humanity. See, Jesus was serious about spiritual abuse, and that's why he gave a warning to those on that day. That's why he said very strongly to anyone, to anyone who will.
would abuse one of these little ones. Now, don't be confused about the passage. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus called the child forward. He used the child as an example, and he said, if you're going to be in the kingdom, you've got to be like one of these children. You've got to be humble. Then he goes on to say, to anyone who would hurt one of these little ones. He wasn't talking. He had, he had pivoted at that point. He was no longer talking about the children. He was talking about those who would follow him in humility like a child. And he said to anyone, to anyone who would hurt one of these little ones who in humility are following me, he said it would be better if a millstone was tied around their neck. He said for those who are not self-seeking in their following of me, those who are not, those who are not trying to perpetuate control and power, not trying to promote themselves, not trying to be known by their title, but instead are humbly trusting me just like a child would trust me. Those who are trusting me in humility said they're mine and I'm going to protect them. Whoa. Last week we, we read... Um, from Matthew chapter 23, we, we looked at the first half of it, and today we're going to look a little deeper at the second half where Jesus issues seven woes. You see, we, we defined this last week, and I, I wanted you to see it again. Spiritual abuse is the chronic mistreatment of an individual or peoples by means of leveraging supposed spiritual authority or sacred texts knowledge for the perpetuation of control, gratification, glory, or enrichment of another. I know that's a long statement, but I wanted you to get it. I wanted you to understand it because unfortunately we live in a world in which not just, not just the Bible, but other, other, other sacred texts and systems of religion have been used to control and manipulate, to gain glory for certain individuals while others are left in pain and hurt. As we looked at the first half of Matthew chapter 23 uh, last week, I hope that you took some time uh, during your daily 20 uh, to read Matthew chapter 23. Daily 20, for those of you who may be guests for us, or a basic commitment, a basic discipling commitment that we make at North Place. Everyone here is committed to every day taking at least 20 minutes to spend five minutes in worship, five minutes in reading the word, five minutes in prayer, and five minutes in listening to God. And so if you didn't, this past week, I want to encourage you in the week to come, during your daily 20, read Matthew chapter 23 and meditate on it and see what the Lord may be saying to you about it. As we look at Matthew chapter 23, we see that Jesus described for us what spiritual abuse or spiritual abusers look like. Spiritually abusive people, get this, spiritually abusive people and systems complicate the gospel and add to it so that folks can never find peace with God. There's seven woes in Matthew chapter 23. I don't have time to read it all to you this morning, but I'm going to take you through those seven woes. The first one we see, the first major concept that Jesus says woe to are woe to those who basically complicate, add to the gospel. Remember, Jesus had said, I want to I wanna take away that yoke that has been placed upon you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The context specifically that Jesus was talking about was the yoke of spiritual abuse. The yoke in which stuff had been added to the truth of the kingdom to enslave people so they might serve others. Jesus was saying, woe to those who would add to my word, who would add to the truth of the gospel, the freedom that is found in me. You can 
always recognize spiritual abuse in, in, in spiritual systems because they add rules, they add laws, they add weight onto people so that they can never find peace with God. I want to ask you a hard question this morning. I want to ask you a hard question, and I want, to, I want you to encourage you to, to wrestle with it. What you believe about Jesus, what you believe about God, has it brought you peace or has it brought you more pain? Has it brought you peace or has it brought you more shame? What you believe about God, has it brought you freedom or has it made you feel worse about yourself? The gospel of Jesus Christ, friend, isn't there. It isn't there to cause you pain. It isn't there to enslave you. It isn't there to perpetuate the weight and the stain of sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ is there so that you and I might find freedom. Not so that I could live with beliefs about God in which I am more ashamed today than I was yesterday. I'm more broken now than I was a year ago. See, Jesus said, woe to those who add to the gospel, who add to salvation, who say, you need Jesus plus something else. The truth of the gospel is this, friend. You need Jesus and nothing else. You need Jesus and nothing else. You don't need Jesus and to come to church every Sunday. What did the pastor just say? I didn't have to come to church every Sunday. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let's just be honest. You're going to miss sometimes. And there's nowhere in Scripture that says if you do, you're going to hell. But doesn't this verse say this? And that's, that's not what it's talking about. What we do right now on Sunday is not at all what they were talking about. Should I come to church every Sunday? Absolutely. We work really hard to cook this meal for you. Please come and eat. But if I add to the gospel and say that you're not coming to heaven unless you come to church every Sunday, whoa. Whoa. point that Jesus was making was, listen, you can't add to the gospel. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that the church spends a lot of its time and energy in its insecurity and fear and its desire to be liked and self-importance. It spends a lot of time and energy twisting scripture to convince you to do stuff that you should do because you love God, but they want you to do because if you don't do it, then it makes them feel bad about themselves. That's just the truth. As someone who's been a pastor a long time, I struggle with my own insecurities. And when you don't show up, I think you don't like me. It's the truth. The reason I'm always saying, say amen, say amen, is because I'm sitting up here trembling in my shoes, thinking, do they like what I just said? And if they don't say amen, how do I know? It's the truth. And if I condemn you, if I make you feel guilty, if I make you feel bad for not participating in this thing we do every week so that it makes me feel better about myself, I'm nothing more than those who've added weights to God's people. 
spiritually abusive systems add to the gospel. They complicate the gospel so that people never find peace. They're constantly left wanting and hurting. Secondly, peace with God is characterized by something you earn through doing a list of tasks that you can never complete. That's the trick of this whole thing. I don't, some of you have been in it as long as I have. The thing is about the whole thing is you never, you never finish the checklist. How many of you like checklists? Come on, I know there's more of you out there. How many of you like checklists? Let me see your hand. Like you feel so much better if you get the checklist done, right? thing about this whole spiritual abuse system is you never, you never satisfy the beast. It just keeps pulling at you and pulling at you and pulling at you and pulling at you. Jesus said, woe to those who create a system where people can never, never find peace. Peace has already been provided for in his work. He goes on to say, woe, woe to those who make vows and then they change the vows and they, and they do all of this wordplay nonsense so the rules apply to some people but don't apply to others. Words are twisted to absolve those with power or position from being held accountable while those without power are left grasping meaningless words. Woe to those who turn the truth of God's word into this crazy game whereby they get away with whatever they want, but everybody else is left feeling guilty and shameful and like I can never get the formula right. I can never say the prayer right. I can never, I can never do the formula right. It doesn't seem to work for me. It works for them, but it doesn't work for me. My, my super special, totally made up magic bean seed offering never causes me to get the car, but they always seem to get it. Hello? I participate. I, I give the money. I do the things. I, I let them pour the oil on. They spray the doom on me. They do all the stuff. I don't get my healing, I don't get my promotion, I don't get, and you know what, it's because something's wrong with me, not them. I did it wrong. I held my mouth wrong when I said it. I didn't stand on my head the right way. I didn't, I used the wrong brand of bug spray, whatever. It doesn't work for me, but it works for them. The vow is twisted, the words are turned. Somehow they always turn out on the winning end and I'm on the losing end and the problem is me, not them. Jesus says, whoa. These abusive systems, these abusive people, there's a fixation on teaching and exaggerating, get this, perfectly legitimate truths that ensure the abuser's power and avoidance of truth, the avoidance of that truth may destabilize it. So I'll fixate on bits and pieces and I'll take little bits and pieces of truth and I'll, I'll highlight them. I'll talk about them every week because that gives me power. That gives me authority. That ensures that my bank account is filled, that I have esteem, that I, that I get what I need. But I'll avoid these other things. I'll avoid these other scriptures. I'll tell you you're not reading it right. I'll tell you you don't understand it. You haven't achieved the spiritual awakening that I have. And so therefore you can't possibly, you can't possibly really know what you're reading there. I avoid that stuff because that may hold me accountable. Abusive systems, woe, seven woes. Abusive systems 
abuse. They wield and maintain power through creating a cognitive dissonance with a show of substance. He talks about how they clean the outside of the cup, but inside it's filthy. How on the outside things look great, but on, and and what's crazy is it, it it's literally crazy. It creates a cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, you, you see this demonstration of power. You see this demonstration of blessing. You see this demonstration of authority. They drive the right car. They say the right things. They have the right titles. They, they do all of this stuff. And yet, when you look inside, it doesn't add up. When you look inside their marriage, it's a train wreck. There's seven affairs. There's sexual immorality. But on the outside... Everything looks good, and, and so if everything looks good, that must mean God's blessing them, so that must mean I have to listen to what they say. When you get in on the inside, they've stolen money over and over and over again. They've misused funds for their own, but on the outside, everything looks good, so that must mean they're right. That must mean they're righteous. When you start studying abuse and abusive systems, what you... What, you, what I became amazed by, and I think you, you've become amazed by, is how often it is the cognitive dissonance of those who have been abused that holds up the system of abuse. It is the literal disconnect from what I can obviously see in front of me that allows the system or the abuser to continue to abuse. That the abused literally make ex makes excuses for and perpetuates the advancement of the abuser by saying it's okay. By disconnecting from what you see. There's been so much gaslighting that ultimately the abused have no idea whether or not what they believe is true or not. Jesus says, woe. Woe to those who put on a show and their ministry, their work is just an outward show. The nature of spiritual abuse sets up a system of codependency that becomes victim-maintained. That's what happens in abuse. That's what happens in spiritual abuse. The victims maintain the system and maintain the abuser by making excuses, by believing the lie, by believing that they have a special position, that they have a special anointing, that they have a special revelation. Friend, we should be wary. We should be wary, Jesus is teaching us. We should be wary of systems that don't value the collective of the body of Christ that says that there are some that are higher than others, that there are some who are more anointed than others, that there are some with greater revelation than others. As you continue to read the New Testament, Paul continually unpacks this idea that as the body of Christ, we share in this revelation of Christ. We share in this truth. We collectively carry this anointing, this revelation of Jesus. As we have learned, the abuser or abusive systems leverage their special place or revelation from God, their supposed revelation from God as a replacement for God. So to question them is to question God. How do I know I'm in an abusive system, pastor? You can know when there's no room for the person to be questioned. 
I can't question them because if I question them, I'm questioning God. Show me that in Scripture. In context. You can't hold the system accountable. You can't hold the person accountable. If you reject them, then you're rejecting God. How many of us have stayed in abusive systems and relationships because we've been taught to believe that if we leave them, we're leaving God? Jesus says, woe to those who want to replace God with themselves, who want to promote themselves to such a place of importance that to say is to hear from me is to hear from God. There are those of us in this room, when we're really honest, we've taught and we've been taught and we've believed that if we didn't continue to participate in abusive systems and abusive spiritual relationships, and if we left those things, then we would no longer be protected by God. How many of us have been told that if we don't do these certain things, that God's not going to bless us? Let me settle this for you once and for all. In Christ Jesus, you are blessed. That's the Bible. That's not Pastor Randy. In Christ, you are blessed. I don't dole those out to you. I don't, you don't buy those from me. You don't get those from me. You get them from Jesus. Abusive systems say you have to stay in the system or you're not going to be blessed by God. you got to give your money to this place or you're not going to be blessed by God. Friend, Jesus says, woe to those who take the word and who twist it so that they are replaced, their words are replaced, their ideas replace those of God. tried in this conversation on spiritual abuse to give you some tools to recognize spiritual abuse, to recognize it when you see it in play and in action. Again, for those of you who weren't here last week, we have this conversation from a posture and a place of humility, not because we have it all figured out, but because we understand the mistakes that we have made and we acknowledge the seasons and places in our life that we experience pain because we weren't work, walking in the light of God's word. So our words today are not those of condemnation, but instead our words today hopefully are words of freedom for every one of us in this room as we understand that Jesus is the head of the church and we don't need another one. That he is the anointed one and that we are his followers that we share in that anointing. At the end of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, it's, it's so fascinating because he loved the city. He loved Jerusalem so much. And the, the, the picture of, of this sermon that he's delivered where he's addressed spiritual abuse is overlooking the city of Jerusalem. It's in his love for the city and the people who make up the city that he's, he's giving these woes. He's saying, woe for these who are being abused in this city that I love so much. He says this, verses 37 and 38, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed 
to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. So pastor, what do I do if I, if I see in my life that, that I have been in a spiritually abused abused situation or I'm in a, a spiritual abused relationship? What do I do? How do I respond? Well, there's so much in scripture about how we can respond. But Jesus, Jesus in his plea over the city that he loved, I believe gives us three very very clear clues of how we can respond to spiritual abuse. Very quickly, the first thing is we have to honestly exam, examine our spiritual condition. Jesus said, look at your house. Is it desolate? Earlier in this message, I asked you a, a very direct question. I asked you, examine your life. Examine about what, what you believe about God. Examine your Christianity or your spirituality. Is it leaving you with greater hope and greater life or has it left you desolate? Has it left you with guilt and shame and condemnation? Does what you believe about God lead you to greater freedom or has it created greater fear in your life? The second thing that I believe Jesus says or as he's addressing Jerusalem I believe that we can see from what Jesus says is a clue for us of how to get out of or break free from spiritual abuse is we need to listen to voices who represent truth. Jesus said, Jerusalem, I've sent you prophets, I've sent you sages, I've sent you those with truth, and you stone them. You're responding to the wrong voices. You're responding to the voices that perpetuate your brokenness. You're responding to the voices that speak to your greed when you believe a gospel that says if you play the Jesus lottery, you're going to get rich. You're believing a lie. You're chasing after a lie. In fact, you're violently rejecting those who bring you truth when you embrace a gospel that says you can do whatever you, you want to do that feels good to you as long as you show up on church on Sunday and shed a few tears. You're violently rejecting community that brings healing and hope to you. And instead, you're chasing shallow religious belief systems that excuse morals and ethics and ideals that align with the kingdom of God as long as you get what you want when you want it. We have to honestly examine our spiritual condition. We have to decide that we're going to listen to voices who represent the truth of God's word. Well, pastor, how do I know who represents the truth of God's word? I'm so glad you asked. How am I going to know? Well, I'm going to have a daily 20. I'm going to spend at minimum five minutes in worship every day so that I can get to know the presence of my creator. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, at least for five minutes, I'm going to get into the word of God and I'm going to read it in context and I'm going to read it for what it says, not for a bumper sticker, not so I can post a meme, but because I want to understand what God was saying. 
And because that may not come natural to me, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to get into a discipleship pathway relationship or come to a Bible study class or get in a relationship with somebody who will help me to know how to read and understand God's word. When that opportunity pops up on the calendar, I'm not going to find every other excuse to avoid it. I'm going to understand that life and death is found in the word. And so I'm going to put everything else aside so that I can prioritize his word. I'm going to do that so that I know truth. I'm going to talk to him as my father. I'm going to have a conversation with him. I'm going to share my heart with him. I'm going to speak to him honestly. And I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen because I know that discernment and the Holy Spirit speaks to me in a way so that I can know what is truth and I can see it when I hear it. Number three. Not only am I going to listen to the voices who represent truth, but I'm going to find my identity in Jesus. Jesus said, I desired to gather you like a hen does under her, under her wings, her chicks. Find your identity, find your place in me. See, Pastor Andy can't find his identity in how well you say amen on Sundays. Because if I do, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rewrite my sermons in such a way that makes you say amen instead of what scriptures actually say. I can't I can't find I can't find my identity in how well you give. Your choice whether or not to be obedient to God and tithe or not is not it is not a truth about my identity as a pastor. I'm not going to manipulate you to convince you to give. I'm not going to do it. Because my identity as a pastor is not determined by whether or not we as a church fund the vision that God has given us. I'm not a success or a failure whether or not you give today to key or hope or you don't. My identity is under his wings. My identity isn't found in my title, my position, my education, or your response to me. How do I break free from abuse? Be healed in Jesus. When I'm confident and secure in him, I don't have to look to somebody else to validate me. When I'm whole in Christ, I don't have to look to someone else to validate me. And when I don't have to look to someone else to validate me, guess what? It gives me the strength to break free from codependent relationships. But when I'm broken, when I'm insecure, then I am easily accessible to codependent relationships and abusers who come along and who sniff who sniff my weakness and like a vulture feasts on my flesh. But when I know who I am in Christ, when I know who I am in Christ, no one can lie to me about my father. No one can lie to me about my relationship with my God. When I know who I am in Christ, I walk in confidence, security, and strength. Church, I love you.
I'm so grateful God gives us this opportunity to work together, to live together, to do life together. But friends, we have to do so in a healthy way. We have to do so knowing, knowing that we're not going to live under the yoke of spiritual abuse any longer. We have to passionately, passionately allow the searchlight of the Holy Spirit to look inside of us and to see if there's any way in us that opens us up to an abuser or an abusive system. I, as a pastor, have to continually bring my thoughts, my heart, my actions, my activities before the Lord and say, search me, Lord. Search me. Am I doing this? Am I making this choice and this decision because I need my ego stroked? Am I doing this? Am I making this choice or decision because I'm looking for fulfillment in these things? Search me, Lord. We have to commit together that we're going to pursue truth and voices of truth. We're not going to violently oppose truth, but we're going to run toward it, even when it challenges us in our culture. And then ultimately, we have to be committed that together, together our identity is found in Jesus.